views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parpus, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is December 21st, 2016, broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. It's the winter equinox and the 29th anniversary with my wife, Chaba Wayne, and I. As usual, we'll cover the stories and issues relevant to the fight against modern-day slavery and human trafficking, being often on the front line and involved in direct social activism. I've got a few personal stories to share tonight. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Glenn Ford, who was exonerated in 2014 after nearly 30 years on death row. He was an innocent man who died mere hours after the Supreme Court justices cited him. Our abolitionist in profile this week is Charles Bennett Ray, December 25th, 1807 through August 15th, 1886, who was a prominent African-American abolitionist, the owner and editor of the weekly newspaper, The Colored American, and another world journalist and clergyman. You can listen live to, to the live stream now on Black Talk Radio's YouTube page. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call in toll-free from the U.S. and Canada at one 866 9025 or 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at com slash Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthis. What's happening, Brother Scotty? What's up, Johanna? Greetings, Max, and congratulations. Did you say 29th anniversary? 29 years, man, yep. Wow, congratulations to both you and Tribal Rain. Um, I couldn't even make it to five years, so that's saying something, 29 years. <laughs> well, thank 29. you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, good job, good job. Yeah, my yeah. our anniversary gift was we got to see our grandchildren today because you know I, I was telling you last week that it was just my wife and I for the first time in almost thirty years. 
So uh, a grandkids have been gone for a while, so they brought him back to see us. That was nice. Just looking at the future, you know? Yeah. Good job, man. Scotty said he couldn't make it five. I never even uh, proposed, so there you go. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing good works. It's possible, brother. I'm living proof, my wife and I. It's possible. It can happen. <laughs> you know? Indeed, man. It's been a heck of a week. You know, I look at this list that we have uh, of the stories that we collect, and over the years, the number of stories has increased uh, exponentially. Like, when we used started out this thing, we'd have, like, seven or eight that we could find, and then it went up to 12 to 15, and now it's 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 things simultaneously happening in the course of a single week. Can't nobody tell me that change ain't occurring because we're watching the ripples in our own historical archives. Yeah, some of that change ain't good, though. I mean, yeah, we're seeing some change, but we're seeing some some what would I call it, uh, some some bad, you know, just some bad stuff that seemed like it's coming down the pipe, especially with the GO group and private prisons uh, resurging, um, recovering their stock price with the election of Donald Trump. So um, the talking about rounding up all of these undocumented in- immigrants and throwing them into slavery. So um, it is, it, it's, it's like you said, it's a lot happening. Yeah, well, you know, there will be resistance. There always will be resistance. So for every action is an equal equal and opposite reaction, meaning basically in this fight, if we make a strong blow, like we've seen happen recently, then expect resistance of the same effect. And they're doing that. They're fighting back, even to the point where they've gotten so desperate that, as we reported a few weeks ago, the GEO group is illegally sending in money to uh, campaigns, quarter million dollars in cash, hiring brand new agencies to work as lobbyists uh, for them uh, uh, to lobby Senate and Congress, you know? So they are reacting heavily. And they're just playing stupid, Scott. You know it like I know it. They really are stupid. They seem like they're cunning and wise, but they keep putting their foot in their mouth. They keep hurting themselves. And we just help them do it. Hey, um, I know we normally don't take calls this early, but we got a call on the board. 754, did you? Okay, they hung up. Go ahead, Max. Oh, indeed, yeah. I, I'm, we might have a special caller come in, uh, call in today, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, I just got some recent news that I will be a speaker at an up, the upcoming event for the Millions for Prisoners uh, Human Rights March in Washington, D.C., August uh, 19th, 2017. So uh, I asked them if they want people to call in tonight. I'm going to share that link so people can know about it. But, you know, we're there about these people who are behind bars. A lot of people talk about freeing your mind and mental slavery. We're there to try to stop physical slavery where people are literally slaves behind bars in cages being worked and used and abused. Let me ask a question. Um, do you all know Les, a person by the name of Leslie Gist? Could you repeat the name? Leslie Gist. Gist the Freedom. It doesn't ring a bell. Gist the Freedom. Let's... Black then. No, your honor. 
That doesn't ring any bells. I'm sorry. I know that you guys know this person because you've been t- you've talked about him over the years, or we may. I you're probably connected uh, to. Him. Wait a minute. I know what you say. You said that just the freedom. I, I, yes, I'm familiar. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Well, the name is Leslie Just, and so um, one of our BTR community members was posting in our abolitionist group. And and so he was posting in in like the title of the uh, articles he was posting was like black abolitionists. So then I'm like, okay, I'm looking for some abolitionists. Let me see who this guy is. I never heard of him. Uh, I go and they're not abolitionists. They're not abolitionists. Somebody born into slavery and then getting set free in 1865 at seven years old and then creating a successful business when they become an adult, that's not a black abolitionist. That's not an abolitionist. And she put a bunch of people who were just simply business people, successful African-American business people who were not even, some of them wasn't even in slavery. So I'm like, how can you how can you call these abolitionists? But then there was another article, and I thank him for sharing that for, so we could have that conversation, and it was brought to our attention. But then I read another article on there, and it's still talking about in 1865, the United States abolished slavery. See, we keep giving life to the lie. These are people who claim that, and I'm not going to say they are not knowledgeable on the black past or whatnot, but if you are not knowledgeable that the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery in clear, plain English, it says it didn't abolish slavery, that it's reserved as punishment for crime. Why do we keep saying that it was abolished. Why do we case when slavery was going on, slavery going on right now. So I, I'm just saying, man, it's like it's like we shooting ourselves as a group in our own foot because we want, I don't know what it is. Why, why? And these are people that I know, know about New Abolitionist Radio. I'm not talking about that particular website, but just conversations I've been hearing this week where people keep talking about slavery in past tense. Yeah, that was why I went rebel last week regarding, uh, you know, the uh, John Legend and what he was doing. And, you know, it, it just defeats the purpose when you're misdirecting people. It doesn't matter how many people that you get activated or woke up if you're waking them up to the wrong direction. You know what I mean? Like, you really, how is that helping us? And and I understand where you're coming from. As a matter of fact, uh, when you say people who you know should know, right? I had to deal with that just recently with Nation Inside, the publication which is uh, established as an abolitionist publication. And I've had communications with them over the years, and even at one point we were supposed to have a meeting where we were going to talk about how we could work together. And they recently put out a list of 10 organizations that are fighting mass incarceration and need your support. And these are certainly organizations like Cure Organizations uh, that could use support in fighting mass incarceration. And when I looked through it, I didn't see any slavery abolitionist groups. And, you know, we need money just like everybody else right here at New Abolitionist Radio. You know what I mean? But we're not fighting mass incarceration. We're fighting slavery, which includes mass incarceration as one of the things, one of the symptoms of that slavery. 
and I addressed them about it. And they seemed to get a little upset with me, like, you know this group? Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with them? I'm like, yes, I am familiar with them. I was the keynote speaker this year at Missouri Cure. So, yes, I'm familiar with these groups. And I know that the ones I'm looking at on this list are not particularly slavery abolitionists. They're more or less prison abolitionists, which is something we've discussed here on the air and the difference in it on multiple occasions. So I'm hoping that maybe they will open up Nation Inside and give an opportunity for me to talk to their editors where uh, maybe they can start helping us in this fight as well because we're fighting the same fight you're fighting. We're just not focused on the symptom. We're focused on the entire problem. Anyway, that was my rant and some uh, of the current news that I've been involved with here lately. Um, Scotty, Johanna? I mean, going back to what you were saying um, previous to, to Scotty uh, going into the, the gist of freedom uh, subject with the number of news stories, uh, articles that are coming out, alerts that are popping up on a daily basis, uh, I have seen definitely. I just had a friend today ask me if I uh, knew that Thurgood Marshall's son had served on the board of CCA. And uh, I, you know, responded to him, yeah, that's actually what got me into abolitionism. And it reminded me of, uh, like you said, several years back, I believe it was 2012, uh, one of the first page that I created on Facebook was called Time for a Resolution. And that was one of the first stories that I saw. Somehow seeing, I think I was researching Thurgood Marshall, the father, and um, and the son's name came up, and then I just saw, you know, what he was doing, and I thought he's on the board of Corrections Corporation of America. What is that? And it just start going from there. And before too long, I did stumble into the Thirteenth Amendment and into the slavery exception, and into all these things. And so, at that point, it was a matter of having to dig deeply and research, fall up into some things by happenstance. I mean, all this was. You know, this is 2012, uh, maybe a little bit before that, but this is all, you know, what we were doing at that point. But today it's going to be 2017, and it's to the point where you really can't look away from this. It's everywhere. It's in everything. There's several TV shows that are talking about it as a subject. Uh, the Conviction Integrity Unit TV show is one I've been trying to uh, to research more thoroughly and see, but, I mean, that's a show talking about the modern mm-hmm. Underground Railroad. Like, you just posted the show Underground will be coming back on uh, come the spring, mm-hmm. several TV shows, radio programs, internet, chat blogs, websites. Uh, obviously, grassroots organizations have have continued to you know come up and and basically be at this same root of modern day slavery, whether they know it or not, or whether they align with abolitionism or not. They're aware of the issues that are a part of modern day slavery. So, absolutely, this thing is uh, the age of information. I feel like we're using it. Uh, you know, in the way that it that it should be used. To large degrees of success too. Uh some of the stories that I was hoping to share tonight is some of the successes that we're seeing occur now. Uh which is why I feel like it's time for uh organizations and groups that are fighting against mass incarceration to start looking at this a little differently. It's time. You have to, you got to stop doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a new result. (laughs) I mean, that's the definition of insanity. We've been fighting this thing since it began. I was listening to Muhammad Ali on an interview yesterday 
from the 1970s, where he was sitting with this singer, black singer by the name of Sly, who seemed like he was high on something or another, and a white congressman. And it was the same exact conversations we're having today. Like, like literally, with Ali, the only voice of reason, sitting there going, oh my God, don't y'all get it? So we have to try something new. And the something new is to change your damn mind. It's really that easy. This is not just mass incarceration. Mass incarceration is a part of a larger system. The larger system is the same system that built this country. They did not let it just go away. They redesigned it. And what you see today is that system called slavery. It's not called mass incarceration. It's not called racism. It's not called injustice in the courts. It's not called police brutality. And you can fight all of those things. But if you fight any one of them, you're fighting the same system we are. Except we're looking at it as this single entity by the name of slavery. It's a demon older than a lot of us, a lot older than us. And if you had any idea in your mind, based on what you've learned in school, that at some point the United States decided, you know what, we were so wrong, <laughs> we need to stop this slavery stuff and just try something new and free everybody. If you think that happened, you were just completely wrong, because it's not what happened. Convict leasing began in 1866, exactly one year after the Emancipation Proclamation. It started right here in South Carolina, where I'm at right now. And until recently, their website bragged about that. Established in 1866. You know, also... It's a system that was set up to continue on. Also, I learned um, this year, although I already kind of knew it in general, but um, attorney Michael Cord up there in Philadelphia wrote an article last year about, you know, this being slavery and the 13th Amendment. And he put in there, he did some research, and he determined, man, that a whole bunch of Confederates, all right, these are so-called traitors of the United States who were welcomed back into the to the fold, uh, uh, you know, like nothing had happened and what have you. And they had a big hand in writing the 13th Amendment. So think about that. How yep. you going to let some slavers write or even participate in the writing of a amendment that's supposed to abolish slavery? No wonder it has an exception clause in there. They let the very slavers who were fighting and killing to keep people enslaved participate in the writing of the 13th Amendment. Again, Lincoln right. really did not care about ending slavery. I know some people get confused about that, but look at him as a politician. Okay, he was telling abolitionists what they wanted to hear so that he could get their nomination while he was telling other people like his good friend, the Georgia Congressman um, Stevenson, I think was his name, that, oh, y'all think I mean to end slavery? Oh, please tell your fellow slavers I intend to do no such thing and, and all this and that. And so all through, and so, so they didn't believe him. Um, and so they went to war. And then at the conclusion of that war, uh, he welcomed them back into the fold and allowed them to participate in writing this amendment. Just how crazy is that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine, let's just say that at the end of World War II, after Germany then did all this 
uh, stuff, death and destruction, that they just, and Hitler didn't kill himself or none of his high command killed himself, killed themselves. And at the end of the war, oh, they were just welcomed back into the fold with open arms and then even given spots in the government to continue to write legislation. I mean, that's just crazy. But that's what that happened. Is the schism. <clears throat> that's the schism that happened between William Lloyd Garrison and Frederick Douglass. William Lloyd Garrison was a firm believer that there can be no union with slaveholders. He was like, how is it expected of me to hug the man who has raped my wife, slaughtered my children, bred my people like dogs, and treated me like dirt under their feet, and I'm supposed to sit down with them in brotherhood at the table of equality and speak about how we can make this nation better together. It makes no sense whatsoever, and he refused. Whereas Frederick, on the other hand, decided that he would try using the Republican Party at the time and diversity in order to make these changes. And he was very successful to a large degree, but he did not finish the job. Speaking of, Scotty, the first story right at the top of our page there will show an example of that in our current uh, circumstances. As Lincoln, as you poignantly uh, portrayed, was a great betrayer with this exception clause and convict leasing, the thing that our intellectuals tend to forget the most convict leasing. Uh, the same thing happened recently with the Department of Justice on August 18th when they announced that they would be reviewing their contracts with private prisons and very likely would no longer be using those contracts. And then we found out later on that that was just a story uh, to make it look like they were doing something because there was a bait and switch. They, their contracts are up to 25 years long. So they were talking about waiting another 25 years <laughs> to see whether or not they would keep these private prisons. It was a straight lie. And uh, we have a video, it's a three-minute video, entitled America's Lawyer, Why is the DOJ Lying About Ending Its Use of Private Prisons? Over the summer, the Department of Justice announced that it would be phasing out the use of private prisons for federal inmates. According to August 18th memo that was generated by the Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, she said this, when each private prison contract reaches the end of its terms, the bureau, the bureau should it sounded like it was sounded like it was about to queue up. I, I don't know. Or change oh. or reduce its scope with the goal of reducing and ultimately ending our use of privately operated prisons. But is that promise already being broken? Join me now to talk about that as executive director of the trial lawyer magazine, Farron Cousins. Farron, you can start by outlining how the DOJ is already backing out on their promise to phase out private prisons. Well, it's really interesting because, you know, they did what the Obama administration has done since day one. They come out and say, look, we know here there's a problem with something. We're going to fix it. Everybody just go ahead and move on from it. And then, of course, the DOJ has already been re-upping contracts with private prisons, especially uh, this one at McRae in Georgia that is probably one of the worst privately owned prisons in the United States, has a horrible reputation for denying inmates medical care. Uh, they're denying them access to legal services. Instead, they're placing them in solitary confinement so that they can't uh, uh, continue working on their appeals. And the DOJ just renewed their contract after saying, we're not going to do this anymore. 
And it's what, the, the stand, what standard justification Obama. are we hearing for them telling us one story one day and then completely lying about it on day two? What? Uh, surely there's some justification that we're hearing from the Department of Justice. Well, what they always like to tell us is that, look, it's saving money. But in reality, all of the analyses that have looked into these private prisons say they save less than 1% of the money that uh, uh, these federally run prisons spend. You're saving less than 1%, and normally that money comes in the form of salary cuts to prison guards and things like that at these privately held prisons who make substantially less and are, are grossly underqualified for these positions. They pull people as young as 18 years old to be prison guards, no prior experience, no college education. They hire you, you're in there the next day as a prison guard. So what we've done is we've made it profitable to put people in prison. And aren't we already seeing stories where we have judges, especially with, uh, with young adults, throw them in prison for the darndest things when we know it's, it wasn't a, a prison kind of offense? We're seeing that more and more, aren't we? We are, and we're starting to see um, uh, Jeff Sessions is a, is a great example here, too, uh, okay. coming in to head the DOJ. He is actually in favor of mandatory minimums, which does nothing <laughs> but increase the, the population of these private prisons. <laughs> Got to go. We want to do this story a lot more. They have it. An okey-doke. Over and over again, we get the okey-doke. They know this is criminal. They know it's criminal. I mean, Especially we pointed it out. Barack Obama. We pointed it out the, um, like when they made the announcement, we reported it. But then that next week, we also reported that they just got through renewing a contract. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on here? Again, you know, I've often referred to Abraham Lincoln as the great deceiver because of his deception on modern day slave on, on ending slavery that great deception but you know what who looks up to lincoln who 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 has named lincoln as a hero uh one of his idols that would be one barack obama right another great deceiver and this goes to the fact that it, i agree everything that they were saying you act like you fixing a problem. You you do this. You pass this law. But then, okay, for example, people like to cite, well, Barack Obama signed a crack cocaine disparity versus powder into law, which reduced it from 100 to 1 to 17 to 1. Yes, he did sign that into law. But guess what? He then told his Justice Department to fight. Well, he was one of the senators. Say that again. He was one of the senators that signed for it to come into law. No, he was president when that was signed into law. He signed it into the law. It was introduced as a senator, but it didn't. It, 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 it was introduced when he was a senator, but it wasn't signed into law until until he became president. All right, y'all can check the record on that. But um, my point I think is y'all talking about the two two separate things. My point. The, my point is is that when they changed the law and prisoners started saying, well, I was sentenced under that old law. This should be retroactive. And they started suing and applying to get out. And Obama told told the Justice Department, this is why Eric Holder was there, to fight them in court, not to apply it retroactively. 
But all to you people out here who are so in love with this man and think he is the greatest thing since I don't know what, refrigerators or whatever, okay? And, and all he is is a great deceiver. He's a great deceiver. So th this is more evidence. Under his first day announced, oh, we're going to abolish these private prisons and jails. Let's let's go ahead and do that since that's a big demand from people and activists and whatnot. Let's go ahead and do that. And, and But then in his administration, after that announcement, what do they do without fanfare? Go ahead and renew them contracts. I can't wait till this man is gone, man. He is just so sickening to me. Yeah, it's pretty sick, man. Your Honor? Well, as we know, and uh, as, as Scotty was saying, the proof's in the pudding. You know, it's one thing to make all these statements and be full of fluff and, and hype and everything else. And something that I want to speak to um, that people that were somewhat critical of my publicizing the story about the, you know, getting away from private prisons the, when the deal, when the, uh, Bureau of Prisons made that statement. My excitement over it was because of the reaction that the markets made to that statement. Yes, of course, we ultimately want that to become a matter of fact and a matter of practice of our government. But we already know, as well-seasoned uh, abolitionists, as 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 you know, well-seasoned and, and long-traveled. Uh, Slaves living within, you know, this domestic col uh, colony. We know that what they say is not what they necessarily do. But just seeing the markets react the way they did, as soon as that was stated, it was like magical to see the stocks begin to plummet to where they stopped trading within an hour of that statement. So that is where the excitement really came from, because that hit them in the pocket. And they're negotiating lawsuits right now, the GEO Group and CCA, from several uh, international firms that are rep that are pushing forward class action lawsuits over all the losses that people took saying that they were not told this and all these uh and we we you know here on new abolitionist radio have a long tradition of playing the uh the live conference calls of the the earnings calls as well as reading through the transcripts and and uh disseminating the information and breaking it all down to the people so you understand that they have never at any point spoken about the realities of the dangers in their prisons. They've never at any point spoken to their shareholders about the realities of the contracts that they're in, the the abuses and the conflicts that they have with their employers, the U.S. government, versus what they're actually doing in practice. So they put these people's money at risk, and they have a legitimate lawsuit against them. So all of this is where my excitement personally came about the whole matter knowing full well that no not overnight would they just change the situation but it is impacting them enough with what our message is and what the works are going on from the grassroots is hitting them hard enough to where at the highest levels they know something needs to change they're speaking to it you're not going to get any kind of change until you're able to hit them hard enough where they know they got to at least speak to what you're talking about they can't ignore us anymore they had to go out and speak on it they sent that memo out um, what Scotty was saying about the 18 to 1 there has never been any scientific proof of any kind of way shape or form they ain't even found some old Nazi some old skinhead ties to white supremacists ties to KKK daddy used to be a grand dragon no old hillbilly whatever scientist has ever come out none of the any expert has ever said 
there's any scientific proof that crack is any different than powder cocaine. That 100 to 1 sentencing was created only because of race, only because of skin color. And the perceived this perceived use, who's using crack, was perceived to be black people, as you saw on Cops TV, the first reality TV show. You saw Cops, you saw Marion Barry, you saw these different media events that went on that showed black people prominently featured as crack smokers. You saw the movies, the, the Boys in the Hood, the, the Minister Society, uh, what was it, the Jungle Fever, I think Spike Lee with the famous crackheads. All these things created this narrative and created an ups, upswell of desire of the American public, just like they wanted old orange-faced Donald Trump. Back then, they wanted harsh criminal charges on these Negroes because all this crack. So there was never any reason to make it 100 to 1. So for Obama to come in and get it to 18 to 1 was the first smack in the face. Well, 18 to 1 for what? And then, like you said, he turns around and uses Eric Holder to sue to keep those people who should have been set free in mm -hmm. prison. So don't give up the fight, y'all, because we ain't nowhere near done. Yeah, we we got a long fight ahead of us, but I know what they're doing. Same thing they're always doing. They kick the can. What president wants to deal with this? This is the hottest, blazingest, most controversial, most powerful thing that any president could ever deal with in their tenure as to in regards to determining yay or nay whether this what we're dealing with right now is legalized slavery. You know Who's gonna address that. Nobody wants to address that. So they kick the can. They kick it to the next guy. You deal with it. I'll stall. You deal with it. I'll stall. And that will go on for another twenty years until that next generation comes along and goes, I, I don't even know what's going on. What was what's going on? They don't forgot what their parents had to deal with. You know, Max. This is not a can. Yes. You're right. Nobody wants to deal with it, including the first quote-unquote African-American president. You know, this is just so frustrating. I got an email today asking me to to uh, fill out this survey about Obama's legacy. You know, and so, but then when I listen to people, black people talking about Obama, oh, he went to Yale, he went to to uh, this white Ivy League school, and, and he wears suits and and you know all superficial garbage superficial garbage and then they want to say well what would you want him to have done oh you got to ask that question you got to ask that question but as an abolitionist I'm going to tell you I wanted him to end slavery I wanted him to speak on the 13th amendment exception clause and the need for it to be changed I didn't need for him to participate in these fraudulent ceremonies commemorating the Civil War, commemorating the Emancipation Proclamation, commemorating the 13th Amendment, which did not abolish slavery. So, you know, um, people been criticizing some black activists and, and black people for approaching or taking a meeting with Donald Trump. You know what? I'll take a meeting with Donald Trump if he wants to discuss ending slavery in this country. So, so I'm just so hey, again. I'm so I'll be so glad, and I know he won't be out the public eye, but I'll be so glad when Obama is out of office. He's been useless to the struggle. You know, I wanted it so bad, Scotty. I wrote the blueprint for it in that uh, essay I wrote called The Day Slavery Ended. How it could end. How we could do it. 
you know? And I just share it to our new abolitionist page. If you're not following the page, you should do so, so you can uh, be interactive with what we're sharing and the information. You'll have direct links to it so you can review it later. But I just shared the video of Barack Obama as president sitting before students explaining to them about how the 13th Amendment did not free the slaves. In his own words, he knows. Well, we're winning some fights. And those ripples are spreading out quickly. And that said yesterday, or not yesterday, last week, I mean, that we have recently won a fight against private probation companies in Alabama, a fight that hit them so hard that 110 cities that had contracts with this JCS uh, probation company canceled their contracts. That's a lot of money out of their pockets. A successful suit that showed that they are using racketeering. RICO charges were applied to JCS successfully. And we've been suggesting here, if we can't get a constitutional convention to change the 13th Amendment and remove that exception clause, we can hit them in other ways, like RICO charges and lawsuits. And another one, which is a victory, just came out of St. Louis, where on Wednesday a federal judge approved a $4.7 million settlement with nearly 2,000 people who were thrown in jail illegally in a St. Louis suburb and a practice legal advocates had likened to a modern debtor's prison. So these, uh, this, this county has to pay the people that they want by illegally and unjustly and unconstitutionally arresting them. So it's coming out of their pockets. And we know how they get their money because We've been studying this now for years. We uh, can show you in suburbs in uh, St. Louis and throughout Missouri where they're using traffic violations to fill their coffers. According to this recent report, some of these counties, three-quarters of their uh, revenues came from fines and fees and traffic violations and things like that. I'm the poorest people that they could possibly find. As a matter of fact, Overall, St. Louis County is 24% black, and 11% of its population lives below the poverty line. But the top 21 municipalities in the area collected one-third of their revenue from court fines and fees. They were 62% black on average, with 22% of the population living below the poverty line. So they're just like vampires, just sucking the life out of these people and ruining their futures. Yeah, um, you know, I kind of feel like while we talk about death by a thousand paper cuts and we should be working with people in the system to try to eliminate slavery, but at the same time, we it should be evident that that's a long road. That can be a long, long road. Okay, 150 years after the Civil War, they still ain't abolished slavery, so that could be a long road. But you can chip away at the system and hopefully try to bankrupt the system by these lawsuits man so these lawsuits are just models that other people who have have faced similar victimization in other parts of the country should be following these models where the ambulance chasing lawyers out there y'all know y'all want to get paid well here's another avenue for you to chase my thing with it all is that 
No, I was just gonna say my thing with it all is 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 when we report on these DOJ reports after these high profile shootings. Um, in over 20 different cities around America over the last 10 years or so, we've seen, you know, these same DOJ reports where they go in and they find patterns and practice of racism, race-based policing, ra- illegal racial profiling, constitutional rights violations, human rights violations. I mean, the entire list is the same list in every city around America. We continue to report to people that we're talking about the tens of millions of dollars that uh, big cities are spending every single year on settling uh, civil rights violation cases, um, civil lawsuits brought against uh, the police departments after people have had their loved ones beaten and uh, oftentimes killed, tortured, uh, everything else. And then when they get indicted on charges, they're not found guilty on actual criminal charges, but then in the months thereafter, uh, the family gets a settlement, and this is, you know, 15 million in Chicago, 15, 20 million in Baltimore, Seattle, 10 million, Dallas, 15 million, 20 million in Detroit, another 20 million in Indianapolis. I mean, this is the kind of money these cities are spending to settle these suits. So, saying all this to say, when the DOJ releases these reports, and when these killings are going on, and when the nightly news is covering this on every cable channel and every website is showing the left version, the rights version, the white nationalists and racist and alt-right people saying that it ain't true and it didn't happen and it's all lies and Black Lives Matter is racist and all this crap. And then these liberals are so pissed off Hillary didn't make it are all telling you how it's the end of the world and we gotta get a new way of doing things because the police is this and that. All these people that have all this stuff to say. What they're not keeping up with though is we're telling you that it's slavery. And we're showing you that it's slavery. And we're showing you that it's revenue generating. It's revenue based. This is where it's coming from. And this is what's happening. And they all deny that these reports, oh, the DOJ is racist. Eric Holder's racist. Obama's a racist. He's dividing this country. All this stuff is said. Where are these people right now when those thousands of citizens in the in the 13 uh, St. Louis County towns where those people, those entities were found guilty of extorting money through traffic fines for against mm-hmm. poor black residents in a deliberate and coordinated scheme to fill their coffers. This is the this is what's in the judge's ruling. So where are these people at now when the actual so the judge is racist too? It's all a big conspiracy against white people to put it in in the law books to say, well, we do have to give these people millions of dollars in settlements because we have been doing this. We have been keeping the lights on by squeezing the lifeblood out this little handful of Negroes. This is what's going on in slavery, and it's for money. It's for profit. So all we got to do is come together on that. We don't have to bring everybody to the center like the BLM message. Well, we got to bring all the trans in. We got to bring in all the LGBTQ PRSs. We got to bring in all the women. We got to go and get the youth the five-year-old little girl that wants to be a boy, we got to make sure we take it. We don't have to go do all of that because none of those people are being individually persecuted, killed, beaten, extorted because of their sexuality, their gender questions, their whatever. They're all being persecuted because they are black. And if they're not black, because they are poor and they are not politically represented. That's all you got to do. Well, I'm going to read a couple of... uh paragraphs more from this story here that uh, from Mother Jones about what's going on in St. Louis so you can hear it in clear language what's up and you gotta remember these people are compartmentalized I mean 
the judges may not be there thinking, you know what, I'm going to be a slaver and be like Chivarelli out in Pennsylvania and sell children to a private prison. No, they're not going in there doing that, but they're playing their part inadvertently. They're doing what's necessary to keep that assembly line of human bodies coming through there, aren't they? Just like the cops, same thing. They're not protesting racist or unjust laws. They're enforcing them, regardless of whether they're racist or unjust. It's not their job to fight against the laws. Their job is to enforce them, and that's what they're doing. So they're being very much compartmentalized, and all of this collectively creates slavery. Now, let me read this. Attorneys for the plaintiffs claim that Jennings built a municipal scheme designed to brutalize, to punish, and to profit. According to the complaint, the city issued more than 2.1 arrest warrants per household, damn, in 2014, and nearly 1.4 for every adult, adding that if the rest of the St. Louis area generated revenue at the same rate as Jennings, cities would have made more than $670 million in five years. In recent years, civil rights groups have taken the cities to courts to compel changes to their operation of so-called debtors' prisons, where those who cannot afford to pay fines are jailed until their debts are paid off. This the practice was first barred under federal law in 1833. In 1983, the Supreme Court ruled that the act of imprisoning someone unable to settle their debt unconstitutional, yet lawsuits and a federal investigation into policing and court practices in Ferguson followed the death of Michael Brown shed light on how municipal courts locked up poor residents who couldn't pay off their debts as a way to generate revenue. And the worst practices tend to arise when courts and other officials perceive a financial necessity in funding their operations through fees and fines. You can read the rest of that story right there at New Abolitionist Radio. The proof is there. Start getting your lawyers. Class action lawsuits city by city, county by county. Break the bank. Take that money and invest it in ending slavery. Do like any other abolitionist would do. I just got a million dollars. New abolitionist radio, here's a hundred grand. Let me help you end this. Let me help any abolitionist organization. So the abolitionist lawyers group, let me give them some money. You got plenty of it now. Start suing. Indeed. I'm all for it. And I keep saying that I'm going to work uh, more diligently on reaching out to these people who are winning these settlements and getting it. Because, I mean, if we really are uh, looking at the historical um, information and seeing the abolitionists of the past and what they did, I mean, that's what people did for a living was they were the printing press, handwriting out thousands and thousands of letters and flyers and notifications of whenever there's going to be abolitionist meetings or conversations about it, town halls or whatever it was, whoever was coming to speak they were their own media propaganda machines to push the message all up and down the coast and all up from the north to the south and as far west as they could get the word out. Uh, that's what they had to do, and they had to go and solicit donations to be able to do that work. Obviously, there was no government entity available that was <laughs> getting ready to, to do anything to help them get it done. So here we are in a time now where people are getting multi-million dollar settlements on a re fairly regular basis. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's the result of deaths and false imprisonments and torture and so forth that these things are coming about. 
but these people are getting some kind of compensation. And so making a, 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 you know, just a general donation to the new abolitionist movement, man, would make all the difference in the world. If we're able to make this kind of a difference on the level that we have, basically, you know, just stringing together whatever donations we can with various campaigns and with Scotty's tireless work and Max out here grinding and me doing whatever I can to send folks to the websites and to the inf- getting them the information so they can make donations. Imagine if we could have an entire year planned out because the money was already there. We're doing this week to week, hoping that things stay going. <laughs> but if we had an entire year just planned out on the calendar, the money was already there. Everybody had the equipment they needed. The time was blocked off. and We could dedicate this work that we do hardcore for the next year. I think we could make a dent in this thing. I believe we could get this done and, a, and get mm-hmm. the exception removed, get slavery. I think we could get slavery abolished for real if we could get a full-time effort to do it in the, in the right kind of materials behind it. Yeah, my people die for lack of knowledge. I think we can provide that knowledge through uh, propaganda and media and educational opportunities to really give them the uh, the understanding of what they're dealing with. And that's why we can't face these problems, uh, because we don't even know what we're dealing with. Most generally, we tend to look at it as, you know, the popular term, mass incarceration, when as we explained here over and over again, that's not the problem. That's one of the problems stemming from the main problem. But that's not the main problem, not by a long shot. You know, another one of the successes that I I think is a success because it brought a lot of attention to this entire system is the prison labor work strike, which was the largest uh, slavery rebellion, really, in the history of this country. And it had some uh, effects afterwards, and it's still going on in certain places, as a matter of fact. But we got some news in that kind of gives you the... uh, the breakdown of just what has occurred from it. If you want to pull that up, Scotty uh, or Johanan, one of you guys can cover that story so we can give people the updates on what happened with the prison labor work strike and how much of an effect it had. Unlike many other organizations that we tend to uh, uh, work with or around, this group of individuals were fighting a slavery abolitionist from inside the prisons. They know what they're dealing with. Uh, big shout out to Brother Kinetic, who's, like I said, dealing with so much drama right now and his life is in danger. He's one of the uh, many folks across this country inside the cells that decided, you know what, I'm tired of being a slave. I need to fight back from here. So, yeah, if one of you guys want to pull that up uh, and cover that, that article. Well, when you said that about shouting out to uh, Brother Kinetic, too, I just want to remind folks that we did get that, and we talked about it last week. We did get a call to action to reach out to uh, Limestone uh, State Prison down there where he's at in Alabama, where he was moved to after he was uh, listed as one of, targeted as one of the organizers and definitely participants, obviously, of the labor strike. Uh, he was moved out of his comfort zone, moved out of where his family was reaching out to him at um, he was moved out of uh, contact with the brothers and sisters that support the free Alabama movement and they isolated him put him in solitary well the report got out that he was being abused um, on being transferred back to his cell on a particular day two guards went ahead and, and gave him the beat down and maced him out and 
everything else. So we don't even know if the brother got medical treatment or if he was just left to suffer, you know, in the days since then. And that was at the first of the month. So <clears throat> I will post on the new abolitionist radio page again the uh, contact information and some of the folks that were reaching out were getting uh, contact with you know whoever was answering the phones at the prisons and uh, they were reporting that they were getting you know snide comments from the staff and people that were basically trying to hide that they were surprised that you know the brother's voice was was being heard outside of those walls you know they love to put people in holes and make them disappear in that place so when they hear somebody from the outside in states all around the country reaching together in a uniform effort saying look we know what you're doing to my brother you know we're watching you stop what you're doing we're reporting this on up the line that at least puts something on their mind you know it at least lets them know that hey we got an organized group ready for a call to action at any given time we're trying to do all we can to get our people free and then until that time you're going to stop killing them abusing them raping them torturing them and so forth so shout out to brother kinetic um Word. but yeah this this um stories from uh pbs this is a news hour story where they're one of the few that has done some spotty coverage of of what has gone on it says uh prisons in some states are withholding newspapers from inmates and attempting to shut down social media accounts operated by the uh for them by friends and relatives amid a strike against prison conditions in billion dollars billions of dollars worth of prison labor the passing of the 13th Amendment in 1865 formally abolished slavery, but with stipulations that enabled plantation owners to use prisoners as a replacement for the lost labor. In recent decades, Victoria's Secret, Starbucks, Whole Foods, Revlon, AT&T, Target, and many other corporations have made use of prison labor that often pays pennies to the hour, a business plan enabled by the amendment's exception. Prisoners' duties can also include cleaning laundry, serving food, and producing license plates, which reduce government costs. And we've talked about on this program all of the many and varied types of industries that these people are forced into uh, call center work is real big AT&T was taking advantage of that when their CEO was coming out and supposedly standing up for American jobs and workers rights what a farce that was his own company is one of the largest employers Black Lives Matter. Uh, right and speaking on Black Lives Matter and his own company is one of the largest employers of black men incarcerated as opposed to the number of black men that they actually uh, employ in the larger free society in their company um, says as a group called the Free Alabama Movement rally for a September 9th labor strike in the spring prison authorities across the country began clamping down on news and information in ways that the American Civil Liberties Union says may be in violation of the First Amendment um, so this is of course what we've been talking about as well just blacking out the uh, the strike uh, one of the papers that they were talking about said the editor, Mary Ratcliffe, has been publishing letters for prisoners for more than 20 years, choosing from about a thousand submissions from across the country every month. She says she thinks that the correctional facilities are retaliating out of fear, calling it a censorship epidemic. What they're ultimately afraid of is the movement for abolition of prisons altogether will be much more successful than it's been, particularly with the uh, impotence of no free labor. Um, they're terrified, she says. The director of American Civil Liberties Union National Pres Prison Project, David Fadi, said two of the union's lawsuits reversed similar censoring in the past and charged, it with an, charged that it infringed on First Amendment rights of uh, inmates and publishers. Inmates are allowed to read and write what they want unless it threatens security, and people who are not in jail have the right to publish what they want and communicate with the inmates, he says. So this is uh, stories that are talking about you know how they're blacking everything out, and the ACLU, of course, is the, is the go-to uh, lawsuit uh, go-to lawsuit body that comes out and, and saves the day. Every time we have these problems, it's always the ACLU, it seems like, and then they end up getting these million-dollar settlements. 
and funds their own operations. And uh, we don't know how much of that trickles down, you know, state to state, the lawsuits that they're able to win, but they're at least on the case. Um, the growth of the prison labor force says a free Alabama movement has been working for several years to raise awareness about their premise that prison labor is indeed modern day slavery, uh, where they're talking about the 13th Amendment again, and the exception uh, doesn't apply to people convicted of crimes. At the, at the time, former Confederate states feared the loss of their workforce and started passing laws that either targeted newly freed slaves or selectively enforced laws on them. One racist law included that all free Negroes and mulattoes found on the second Monday in January of 1866 or thereafter with no lawful employment or business could be sent to jail. That uh, would be the vagrancy laws, part of the black codes. Then prisons would rent convicts to plantation owners who had to make less capital investment than slave owners with even less incentive to treat workers well. And ever since that time, the criminal justice system has been a key mechanism for controlling the African-American population. Um, in recent decades, laws have continued to incriminate black people while prisons and corporations make money off their labor. The war on drugs led to sentencing laws that disproportionately affected black people, including a mandatory five-year sentence for possessing five grams of crack cocaine. Meanwhile, someone carrying powder cocaine, which bears no major pharmaceutical difference, needed to be carrying 500 grams of powder to get that same five-year sentence. So this is all what we've been telling you about so far. So I'll put the, uh, put the link up because this is a pretty long story and they do have a lot of details as far as the numbers, the numbers of people working, uh, the numbers and how they've grown, the hourly wages, uh, how many inmates state to state. There's just a lot of, of uh, good information in this story. Um, but as it ends up, it just says just what we say every week. You can't sit up here and say slavery should be abolished and then have an exception. Either you have slavery or you don't. There should be no exceptions. And that's Pastor Kenneth Glasgow for the free Alabama, uh, speaking for the Free Alabama Movement. So I'll put the link on the New Abolitionist Radio page unless one of you already has posted it up there. Thank you, brother. Indeed, man. Uh, shout out to the freedom fighters. Real freedom fighters who are fighting for freedom, not for some mental freedom, for real physical freedom from people who are enslaved and being brutalized and used and abused and worked for pennies on the dollar, if anything, every single day. We have got to end this, people. We've got to end this. But first, you got to face it. You got to face the truth, and I know that hurts. I know that is hard. Just like we said, they want to kick the can because no president wants to touch this. But what Congress wants to touch this? Because you have to admit that you've been doing it. That's the first thing. You got to admit you've been doing it. We're wrong. We've been doing this. It's our bad. Now we got to fix it. And they're afraid. There's a lot of them who are actively involved, knowingly doing this, particularly in Congress particularly in the Senate, and even when it comes to presidents. Don't think for a minute that Nixon didn't enact, enact the war on drugs for any other reason than to arrest black people. Because that's what it was for. In his own words, you can read it in the Nixon tapes, where they tell you why he did what he did. It was literally to arrest black people. Now look at the repercussions of that decision by that one man in the in 1971, and look at it today, in 2017, how it spread outward, what it became, how this avalanche started and ended up here now. Millions, 24 million a year going through our system every year, 24 million. A lot of people, man, a lot of nameless, faceless people. And as I keep uh, hitting home, 
look, there's not anything else to say. It's not a matter of repeating myself over and over again. There's not anything else to say. This only happens to people who are politically not represented. They don't have representation. This ties into my reason for speaking against just blindly throwing out a vote. I'm not against voting if you want to use that the way it's designed to be used. And definitely on a local level, I mean, right now, after the elections we had a couple of months ago, how many people voted judges into their local municipalities that have investments in private prisons themselves? I wonder, I wonder if there's, there's 10,000 people in America that know, 10,000 voters in America that know if the judge they just put in, whether he's got investments in private prisons or not. Would that be a consideration? If you could know or not know, would you want to know? I mean, that's like saying you you buy a set of tires and and you know if it's, if they got nails in them already or not. I'll just put them on the car. I don't care. I'll make it. Question, Johanan. How do you mm-hmm. check that? How do you check that? For example, we know while they're not required by law to do it, but a big deal was made of Donald Trump not revealing his right. tax records and what have you. That would show, I I would think, any kind of investments in private prisons or any Fortune 500 companies that invest in private uh, prisons. For example, I was also, I think uh, we were able to identify that Hillary Clinton was heavily invested in the Vanguard 500 fund, which which is heavily invested in modern-day slavery. So how would you find that out about a judge? I I, I, I would think that... Anybody running for political office, we should be able to see their uh, portfolios or or their taxes. It shouldn't just apply to the to the uh, uh, person running for CEO of USA Inc. But uh, how would we look that up? Well, I would say first and foremost, um, just having that out as a popular topic, as as something that's on the table, a requirement. Um, is the first thing uh, because there's probably going to be ways whether they exist currently or once they found out people want to know they created them to shield that kind of information they don't want that business to come to the light but I would say the first and most important thing would be for it to, to, for it to become a part of the agenda to become a part of the questionnaire I mean I would imagine that most people would say if asked no, I would not vote for someone if I found out that they were a member of Nambla. Like, I would just imagine that there would be no one that would be able to say publicly, yeah, I don't have a problem with a, with a judge that, that believes in pedophilia. I, I think he could still be a good judge. I think most people would say no, and I think slavery uh, is is in that got to be in that same category of things that if you were able to say, look, you got three judges on this ballot in your area, and what we want to know is if any of them are invested in slavery. If you bring that up as, look, if you want my vote, you got to be able to prove you're not invested in slavery. I think the judge that wants the job would be willing to do that. The ones that don't, you could easily say you must be guilty because you don't even want to prove it and take it like that until we can find a better means. Indeed. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these messages. Okay. 
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. You're here at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna and Elia on New Abolitionist Radio. We're discussing modern-day slavery and human trafficking, which is happening here in the 21st century in 2017, legally. As you were saying, Johanna? Well, yeah, to my point, I'm just, just bringing out that I think the, the most impactful thing that can be done would definitely be putting these people on front street, um, making them prove that they're not guilty. But again, that all ties into using the voting system the way that it was designed to be used as opposed to just casting a blind, you know, blind vote or casting a straight down ticket D or R vote. I mean, these are all ways that are never going to lead to any kind of a, a significant change or anything for the good or anything that comes from the desires of the grassroots anything that can help but I mean having a story this is as large and and a precedent that's set like the kids for cash scandal having uh stories like this JCS and being able to prove that these people are extorting the citizens having these stories that come out of Ferguson where you've got 13 towns in the county that are only generating revenue off of this type of extortion these are all things that it's not just us coming on this program and venting and kill whitey and we hate them. I mean, I, I hear so much BS that people try to do, and this is what people do when they don't want to face the reality of what you're talking about, is they try to make an extremist argument out of the very simple thing that you said. We're pointing out very factual, absolute factual truth-based real judgments, real truth, real people, stories, torture, problems, situations, major million-dollar judgments paid out, things that are written into law, we're reporting on that. This is not hyperbole. This is not some kind of rumor. This is not stuff we just making up or we just mad at the white man. Or what, I mean, I hear people say these kind of crazy things, but that has never been anything that has been a part of this program. So with that said, if you can say in your local city, um, I'm aware of Kids for Cash. I'm aware of JCS. I'm aware of St. Louis County and 20 other DOJ reports around cities around the country that have shown all these different human rights violations, civil rights violations. I mean, just, just systemic issues. And this all shows me from a prosecutor level to the judge level, the, the mayor's the city comptrollers and city managers, all these people are complicit in creating these schemes and keeping these things going to beat up on the common person and, and squeeze money out of them however they can and throw them in jail and generate all this revenue. I see the framework of it. So here in my city, I'm at this town hall meeting. I got a check in my hand. Yeah, I want to give a contribution. I'm ready to vote. I'm registered. I'm out here ready to pass out, get out to vote, whatever. I'll do all of that. But I want to know from the people on this ticket, are you familiar with this information? Where do you stand on this? What does what your track record show? Are you invested in private prisons? Are you having meetings with city with the city council members that are telling you there's other things you can do to help people pay off fines, like doing community service, like they have in the minutes of the city council meeting in Ferguson, 
And the city council member said, we don't need to be charging these people all these fines. They can't pay them. My constituents are telling me they want to try something else. And I have successful information from other cities around the country that are using community service programs. No, no, we don't want to do that. We have $3 million a year now. We expect the budget to grow to $3.4 million next year. And it's going to be off of the police's efforts to ratchet up the the, the terrorism out here. Chief, police chief, can you do that? Yep, I'm down with it. And then everybody goes home and acts like that never happened and then wonders why all these black people got all these all these Negroes is just out here criminals. If we get serious about what's going on and get systemic as they are towards us, towards them, with the facts and with the truth, and just put it in their face. Stand up for it. Do you believe in this or not? But see, what ends up happening is your neighbor, your co-worker, your boss, your friend, the lady at the grocery store, the parents of the kids that your children go to school with, all these people around you that's real comfortable behind their picket fence that's real comfortable behind their privacy fence on their side of the property line, getting in their car, in the garage, pulling out, driving away, never making eye contact with you, never talking to you. Those people are very comfortable with the system of modern-day slavery continuing on, and they're counting down the days until your black self ends up a victim of it so they can capitalize. That's the real issue we've got in America is a lot of non-white people and a lot of nice, well-intentioned white folks are just willing to sit back and say, well, it ain't happened yet, but it's going to happen at some point. Instead of facing it, saying, I know it's happening right now. No, it's not me personally, but I'm not going to let it happen. I'm not going to be quiet and just let it happen. End it now. That's all it takes. What Max, what do you always say? Change your mind. Change your mind. Is it? That's so simple. All the biggest changes start with your mind. Change your mind. You follow a new idea. You're given new information. And what do you do with this new information? Do you reconsider your foundation based on this new information? Or do you ignore it and just keep on plugging along in an act of insanity? When you're never going to solve the problem, you're just going to stall forever and ever and ever, and this fight will go on for another five generations. No, it's time to stop this. There are easy ways. Take the exception clause out of the 13th Amendment. Banish private prisons from the United States of America from operating within our borders in any way, shape, or form. Take out all of these for-profit industries surrounding the incarceration of American citizens. Stop it. Just stop it. There should be no uh, ability of a person like a Christopher Epps to offer out no-bid contracts for kickbacks so somebody can supply his prisons that he runs as commissioners with maggot-filled food. It's, it's just not, it shouldn't even exist. They have conventions for these prison industries that uh, bring in organizations and companies from all over the world because they generate billions of dollars on the incarceration of U.S. citizens. And also, let's start getting trials. I mean, it's in our Constitution. Sixth Amendment, we're entitled to a fair and speedy trial by a jury of our peers, but unfortunately, that amendment doesn't exist in reality because 95% of all felony cases end in a plea bargain, which is unconstitutional and is administered by a 95% white prosecutorial pool who are incarcerating a primarily black and Hispanic uh, minority. I mean, it's, it's so freaking clear. But that's going to lead to our next story that I, I would like to share tonight. Uh, I don't know how much time we got for what we have, but I'm going to try to get this one out there. This exists, this story right here, which I have from the Star-Telegram, exists for no other reason than the fact that slavery still exists. And we didn't have police 
in the numbers of a million of them out there hunting bodies in the street. We wouldn't have this problem right here. And it says, there's been a lot of debate recently over excessive force by police, especially after several high-profile deaths during arrests. Now a government agency is adding some vital statistics to that conversation. The Bureau of Justice Statistics released its findings on arrest-related deaths on Thursday, which estimated about 1,900 1,900 people had died while being arrested in 2015 alone. That estimation was based on media reports and police reports for June, July, and August of 2015. Of those deaths in July, June, July, and August, 64% were homicides, defined as willful killing of another. 18% were suicides, and 11% were accidents, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Homicides include those who are justifiable, such as in the case of self-defense. The Bureau defined arrest-related deaths as any deaths that occur while a person is being detained by law enforcement in an official capacity, when their freedom to leave is limited by an officer prior to or during an arrest, and any death in a lockup or booking center. Sandra Bland died while in a jail cell in July 2015, pulled over for failing to signal when changing lanes in Texas. She was yanked from a car by the officer accused of assaulting a police officer. The 28-year-old was found hanging in a cell three days later, and the death was ruled a suicide by authorities, a decision contested by Bland's family. Freddie Gray was arrested in April 2015 and was shackled and handcuffed but not strapped into the back of a police van. He died of severe neck injuries. Police said Gray was arrested for fleeing from police presence without provocation, which is not a crime. Prosecutors dropped all charges against the Baltimore officer involved in Gray's arrest in July. The rate of potential arrest-related deaths highly varied by state and region. States in the Northeast recorded relatively low numbers, with 1.5 to 3.5 deaths per 1 million, while states in the West, and particularly the Northwest, reported higher numbers with around 5.8 to 13.7 deaths per 1 million. When not adjusting for population, California had the highest number of arrest-related deaths, with 64 during that June, July, and August 2015 period, followed by Texas with 58 and Florida with 25. The Bureau started with media reviews, which found 1,348 potential arrest-related deaths in the United States from June 1, 2015 through March 31st, 2016. I'm taking it they were following people like killed by police. That came out to an average of 135 arrest-related deaths per month. Those media reports identified 379 deaths in June, July, and August of 2015, but by reaching out to law enforcement agencies to confirm certain deaths, the Bureau found that there were actually 425 during that period, a 12% difference. The Bureau of Justice Statistics projected the 1,900 arrest-related deaths for 2015 by relying on media reports and assuming the 12% difference across the year. The preliminary results did not break down arrest-related deaths by demographics, although the surveys provided to medical examiners did request that information. That's the article in its entirety, showing you we have so many people dying in these streets at the hands of these cops. We got too many damn cops. 
and we keep hiring more. Now Donald Trump's talking about bringing in even more. What do you think their job is? And how often do you think they're going to end up killing somebody? You're just increasing the odds of people dying. Gentlemen? Um, was while you were talking about the numbers, like you said, they're not as high in the north. Um, they start to go up when you look at the northwest. Uh, the California being, you know, one of the highest, not adjusted for population. Also mentioned in obviously Texas and Florida. And all while you were giving those stats, and and I was seeing in my in my own mind, I was just thinking Fugitive Slave Act, Fugitive mm-hmm. Slave Act. This this mirrors the numbers from as far back as the 1650s, the 1700s, late 1700s, the 1800s, obviously the Fugitive Slave Acts of 1850s. These are the same kind of territories. Blacks would go deep into uh, Florida and link up with the Black Seminole tribes and fight for their freedom. Florida has always had a very volatile relationship with fugitive slaves. Um, Texas, the same way. Obviously, the West Coast. Uh, some of the abolitionists. Yes, I mean, this is the history. I just don't under, I mean, I do understand why, because it's not convenient for them to do it. But the thing is, is that our truth that we're bringing is the truth, and it doesn't, it doesn't need convenience for it to be true. It just so happens that it all ties together. It all links together like pieces in the puzzle. Those numbers right now today reflect the same kinds of numbers, because in the North, like you were talking about, you know, you already have Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut. These states had already abolished slavery. So this also shows like how the Fugitive Slave Act in those kinds of areas, that was the North at the time. That it wasn't as impactful to have those laws. It wasn't as uh, prevalent that they would be chasing down and killing. This is where people like Frederick Douglass was able to get away and become a free man. Uh, mm-hmm. as far back as he did. So, I mean, the, the, the history mirrors the current situation when blacks were able to get out to the West. The Fugitive Slave Act followed them all the way to the Western borders of the nation at that time. The state of California has, as this one of its original, uh, the original uh, monument they had for the, the, the name of the state of California is a black woman. The city of Los Angeles was originally incorporated by black people. These are matters of fact. This is not me just going on some kind of crazy rant or something. It's actually true. And the Fugitive Slave Acts were designed to bring those Negroes back from the brink that they had found to find freedom for themselves to bring them back. And so now you see Los Angeles is one of the leading killers of black people, poor people, homeless people, politically not represented people in this nation. It's amazing how it all lines up. Imagine if during that time when the fugitive slave laws were active, which was America's first mass incarceration period, imagine if they thought that that was the problem instead of slavery. Like, you know what? Slavery is not the problem. It's these fugitive slave laws that are the problem. It's hunting these black people who are escaping slavery. That's the problem. So imagine if they thought like that then, which is what we think now. Like mass incarceration is the problem. Not that they're in the prisons and all of that. That's not the problem. That they're selling human bodies on the open market through prison stocks and jail bonds. That's not a problem. The problem is you just keep arresting too many people. Sometimes things are just so simple if you just let them be simple. 
Occam's razor. It's very simple. It's easy to understand, but you got to be willing to open your eyes and you got to be willing to face the hard truth that Johanna just pointed out to you. The hard truth. Not the truth you want, not the truth you've been told, the real truth. Hmm. Well, I saw that you had a story on there about the prison stocks recently, Spring uh, with Scotty. Um, did you want to go over that this evening? Yeah, sure. This is uh, just what I was talking about earlier about when we... Were you hunting? Did you have anything you want to cover in particular this evening? I'm sorry. I had myself muted. Give me uh, just a moment. <clears throat> uh, yeah, this is uh, what I had uh, pulled up. I mean, what I was talking about earlier about when we were saying it's a lot of movement, and I was like, yeah, it's a lot of bad stuff that's going on, too. So let, let me... Uh, pull that up this came um i found this on one of the uh, financial websites that we usually get information about um the um um geo group and cca private prison uh companies give me just some i'm still trying to find uh that particular uh story got a lot of stuff here okay here it is seeking alpha um it's not really a story it's just information that was being reported by Seeking Alpha that came to me through my uh, Google alerts. So it says, more room to run private prisons. Uh, this was posted by somebody named Stephen Alpher, who is a Seeking Alpha news editor. It's no secret that there's materially less risk to federal contract renewals and for the private prison business model as a whole under a Trump administration with Jeff Sessions as Attorney General. Um, a check of Geo Group finds it has recovered all and more of its late summer declines following the DOJ's plan to drop private prisons. Core Civic uh, has bounced as well, but not all the way back. Core Civic is Correction Corporation of America. After Kanye West, you know, named them in that song, New Slaves, they was like, oh, that might be problematic. We might have to change the name. And uh, so now they're known as Core Civic. Um, let me see. Connor Accords, Ryan Melliker, and Michael Kodesh reiterate their buys on the two, but prefer geo thanks to its higher dividend yield and lower exposure to california so this just goes to you know just stuff we have reported already um one of the things i'm thinking about jeff sessions got denied a position in somebody's cabinet in the past cause of racism and what have you he still got to go through a confirmation hearing but Watch, watch how Democrats get along with Donald Trump. Y'all, I just heard Michelle Obama interview uh, with Oprah Winfrey saying, how are we going to help Trump be successful, her and Obama and all this and that. Watch, I'm watching to see how many, uh, how, how vigorously do Democrats fight against these appointments, these confirmations. Uh, uh, we saw how the Republicans did Obama, right? So let's see if the Democrats, especially on issues of slavery, 
and race. I, 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 I'm willing to bet you won't see. What I'm saying is you're going to see bipartisanship in confirming Trump's cabinet. There will be no uh, extraordinary or extracurricular activities going on trying to block his appointments. And Jeff Sessions, again, I think he's a native of Alabama, could be. I think he's from there um, um, as attorney general. So any gains that might have been made, they they are in danger of being rolled back. Just just like um, just like we saw uh, the private prisons recover all of their stock. But again, looking at this, these people talking about which one of the stocks they prefer to buy. This is what modern slavery looks like, people. This is what modern slavery looks like. So who is Ryan Melliker, Michael Kodich? They're slavers. They're admitted slavers. So I, I, I'm just, just I'm, I'm just kind of frustrated, man, because we did make some gains, and that was just wiped away with the election of Donald Trump. And not to say that I wanted to see Hillary Clinton, because I don't. She needs to pay for her crimes against humanity, but. This is what we're up against. This is giving us a preview. These are the type of people we're up against. That's all I got. Just the idea that we can buy human bodies again on the open market from anywhere in the world with a few keystrokes is so outrageous. Just outrageous because you're not buying, you're not buying into a building. You're buying into the people who are in the building. Without the prisoners, there would be no prison. (laughs) It's just that right. And and these companies have human bodies. And these companies have and mandatory, over market. and they have quotas when they sign these contracts. Yep. I don't know about the federal government, but I know the state governments like Louisiana sign contracts to keep them 90% full. Well, on that, uh, another another um, uh, write-up on their opinion goes a, a little bit more into depth talking about it. And, I mean, just driving home the same things you've been saying – says uh, Melliker and, uh, and Kodesh reiterated that they've set up buy ratings. And see, ever since that announcement, uh, what was that, August, when that came out, ever since that announcement, you know, they've been on hold, uh, was the best they could get, was hold, like, don't don't buy yet, we don't know yet. But they've been on strong buy ratings, and now uh, Core Civic closed at $28 a share. We had them down, to, I believe, uh, almost single digits, maybe at 10 or $11 a share at their low. Uh, Geo Group was trading right around forty-two dollars a share at their high, and they were down in the uh, near single digits as well. They closed at thirty-eight dollars a share. Uh, said they write uh, that since the election, they see "quote unquote" materially, materially less risk to contract renewals for both firms and for the private prison real estate investment uh, trust business model as a whole. So, see, they've been getting away with operating basically tax-free by moving from uh, selling the beds per se on the stock market saying we're going to fill the beds and that's what we're selling is our ability to get contracts with states and the federal government and uh, to to put people in beds what they've done is said well we also have expertise in in securing the land and doing all that it takes to get land like in uh, Gary, Indiana uh, private prisons were instrumental in working with the city council there and had people in an uproar because they were trying to get some land that was near a small airport saying that they were going to use it to open a private prison there and then they could easily, the federal government could very easily uh, bring in 
these uh, illegal aliens or, or illegally detained people and uh, bring them in on these private planes right to the prison and just put them right on the prison and the people didn't really know the risks of letting in a private prison and that turned into a long drawn out battle but the real estate side of it is what they're selling so as a real estate investment trust they can shield themselves from having to pay the same types of taxes that other businesses would have to pay and this is a multi-billion dollar industry uh says another detail from their notes of the industry yes says a trump victory screens favorably for every federal jurisdiction and we believe it's possible that a new attorney general will reverse the current plan to cancel BOP contracts Bureau of Prison contracts upon renewal though we continue to assume all of this in our estimates as a result we believe our estimates for both GEO and and Core Civic or CCA uh, may prove to be conservative so even with this information that is boosting their stock values and all that we're talking about they're saying that they think that they're still being very conservative. Despite the recent run-up, we could see more upside to both of these stocks. But right now, we prefer Geo Group at this stage, uh, given a higher dividend yield of 7.5% versus CCA 7%, and less EBIT uh, exposure in California. And all that's talking about with the EBIT is uh, uh, earnings before interest. So like the earnings before interest or taxation, uh, and so forth. So they're just saying basically like the company's money that they're able to get without having to factor in, you know, major financial decisions or or the tax structure of various states and so forth. They're saying just everything on the table. We think there's more money here than we're able to really tell you about right now because we know there's going to be a new attorney general. We know this new administration is likely to go hog wild on slavery. I mean, we're basically telling you if you get, if you can hear what we're saying, put your damn money in slavery. Yeah, it's real. It's real. And people wonder why, as an abolitionist, you may not let them in as a friend, as a confidant. Mm -hmm. People wonder why, on a a personal level, how you may not be able to be available to them and to their, you know, little petty things that they want to be interested in and care about. When you've seen even a hint of the massive structure that is looming down over you and over your freedom and your your right to exist on this damn planet when you get just a glimpse of what is really in structure a strong foundation beneath this structure and strong steel material that holds it up and it's standing there looming over you and you just one person with your flesh you really don't have time to be concerned with basic BS out here. These people are trying to kill you and enslave you and make money off of you. I have had to certainly rethink, uh, reconsider some relationships over the years for sure. But like, you, you ain't helping me, you hurting me. That's just how I'm looking at it nowadays. Like somebody just died because you didn't change your mind. Somebody just got raped because you decided to deny the obvious truth. Somebody's child just got picked off the street for something irrelevant and their life was destroyed as it was tossed into a jail cell like Khalif Browder and and ruined. Why? Because you ain't trying to hear me. You you don't care. And I had to rethink a lot of relationships like that. I just can't be around people like that anymore. I just can't. I need to be around Johanan. 
I need to be around Scotty Reed. I need to be around uh, URFA. I need to be around Brianna Dobbs. I need to be around all the people who are fighting for real and care. I don't need to be around people who just don't give a damn. If you got no fucks left to give, then go away. Leave me alone. I still have some left. Man. You about to get the spirit running up in here, <laughs> Max, because when you said it, I sure felt it. I mean, that's just all it comes down to. I'm not trying to exclude people. I I love people and want more and need them in my life all the time. But I I just I can't suffer fools, man. I just can't. I, I I just can't. I don't have anything to offer my son for his future outside of slavery. I don't have anything to offer my grandchildren that haven't even been born yet. I don't have anything to hand them. If I was Frederick Douglass back in the day, I wouldn't be sitting up trying to figure out how I could go to Solomon Northrop's recital and listen to him play the fiddle. I would give a damn. I'd be trying to fight against slavery. If I was in Gabriel Prosser's time, I wouldn't care about who could do the best foot shuffle at the fireside dance and, and who got on the cute skirt and who gonna try to sleep with it. I wouldn't give a damn. I'd be trying to get off that goddamn plantation. If I was sitting up here living with these martyrs and these great ancestors that we know of and the thousands and untold thousands that we've never heard their names, but we know they fought. If I was living with them, I would imagine myself fighting with them and I'm not living with them and I'm not going to disrespect their memory and the work they did and the lives they gave by sitting up talking with you about reality TV and chasing after girls and wanting to go get drunk and high and go do all this other foolish mess that we occupy our time with while the state has a mechanism in place that is operating flawlessly. Mm. You know, on a real level, I have been blessed by God to have a 29-year happy marriage with my wife. We have collectively 15 grandchildren. And according to everything that's been told to me, five of my grandchildren are going to end up in your cages. I have got to fight with everything I've got to stop that. You know, this is why I get so critical of certain movements, especially in the black, in the black community. Uh, for example, the reparations Community that's fighting so hard for reparations to the point that they're getting angry at Native Americans because they might be getting some kind of restitution from the federal government. But instead of you being mad at the enslavers, you won't be mad at some other victims and what have you. But again, how are you going to be fighting for something that has to be paid for something when it has not ended? I mean, I'm I'm so tired of the of the pre eighteen sixty five of slavery focus. It it never ended. Act like it ain't never ended. I mean, I wonder though. I wonder did we have some of these same types, same types, knowing that you got a target on your back and whatnot. But the free uh, black population in eighteen sixty, which numbered five hundred thousand. Now, I know later 200, you know, five years, I mean, whenever the Civil War kicked off, you had 200,000, you know, uh, black people sign up to become Union soldiers to end, end slavery. But I, I'm just wondering, I, I'm just wondering what was going on. Like, uh, who did you mention Solomon Northrop? We know from his own biography, he didn't give a damn about nothing but making money, 
making money, moving up into the middle class and and being able to buy his family a nice home and, and treat them to, you know, nice things and all of that. And he didn't give a damn about slavery until he got put into slavery. Then he became an abolitionist. So I, I just get I get kind of frustrated. I try to be uh, diplomatic toward these people and I say, oh, you just don't know. You just don't know. But then I know some of them do know because we told them. I mean, indirect messages reached out to you and you still talking like this isn't the number one issue that should be at the top of your list of issues that black folks and people who believe in justice should be working on. So I, I, again, mm-hmm. you know, it's that cognitive, I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance. I don't know if it's willful ignorance. I don't know if people are just embarrassed to admit that they believe like I believed at one point that slavery was abolished and now they're faced with the truth that it wasn't abolished and they just don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but all I do know is y'all better get serious about this because the slavers are damn sure serious about putting us into slavery. If people want to know what to do, I will post later the abolitionist goals so you can see some of the things that we are trying to get done uh, and working diligently to make them happen. Some of them are in progress uh, where they never were in progress before. You know, one more thing, Max, one more thing that's pissing me off right now is Keith Ellison is in the fight for his life to take over the DNC. Keith Ellison is one of those that stood beside Bernie Sanders when they introduced the... No, Keith Ellison is the one who introduced it. Remember the press conference? Justice is not for sale. The Mm -hmm. Justice is not for sale act. Abolish private prisons and jails. But what am I hearing from most black people? Hillary Clinton lost. Oh, I can't believe Donald Trump is president. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm hearing from them. And let's look forward to next year. I mean, you know, forward years down the road. Well, what about now? What about now? You, You have a civil war in the Democratic Party right now. With an abolitionist, I, I don't know if Keith Ellison would consider himself an abolitionist, but I call him an abolitionist because he supports abolitionist legislation. When you say right. about ab- it, ain't no exception clause in that justice is not for sale act. It don't say we shall abolish private prisons and jails except for when we can't house them all. You know what I'm saying? It's no exceptions to that. And so I, I'm not seeing. All of those people who mobilize for Hillary Clinton, why y'all not mobilizing for Keith Ellison? See what I'm scared to. See what I'm saying, man. See what I'm saying. The white news cycle, the white news cycle, and their masters have told them that Keith Ellison supports uh, Minister Farrakhan. So you cannot show no support for this black man because he he supported he he supports Minister Farrakhan. I mean, it's just one of these things like Obama had to do with uh, Reverend Jeremiah, same thing. Oh, you went and sat in his church and heard him preach. You uh, were on the same news story as he was featured. You had a correspondence with him. You must want to kill all the Jews. I mean, the way that these people selectively become hyperbolic over non-issues when it relates to black folks and people that are not pushing their slavery agenda is just amazing to me because they will act like they don't know there's something as huge as slavery 
really is what it is. You say it's slavery, you prove it's slavery, you show us the profits and the same kind of, of evil as slavery has ever been. You show everything to tie it to slavery, and they deny, deny, deny. And try this, to yeah. and, and make it so is, puny and like it's not really real. But then you say, then they turn around and say, "Well, this man ain't good to be the DNC chair because look, he 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 uh, he uh, he had unpaid to parking tickets and lost his driver's <laughs> right. license in the 1990s." You know what I'm saying? And again, this is why Obama disgusts me. He disgusts me to no end. He's one of those who's trying to uh, to uh, uh, deny Keith Ellison that position and say, oh, no, I want my guy Thomas Perez to be. See what I'm saying? And then here come, here come this black person who I've known for a long time who I really don't pay put much attention on anything they say because they be saying some crazy stuff that never come to pass. But they act like they so much in the new or in the know about what's happening in politics and behind the scenes and all this and that. And I saw that they made a post about Keith Ellison. I ain't never heard of Keith Ellison. See, we got agree with President Obama. He don't need to be the DNC chair. See, we got these people who just trying to be on a come up for themselves. Obviously, this woman don't know nothing about Keith Ellison or what he's been involved in in terms of so-called criminal justice reform. But at least he did back an abolitionist bill. And then here come these mealy-mouthed Negroes falling in behind Barack Obama. Oh, no, let's not support port, uh, 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 Keith Ellison. Yeah, he was supporting Bernie Sanders. He wasn't riding with Hillary. You see what I'm saying? This stuff just, man, if I had some hair on my head, I'd be pulling it out. For those that are not familiar with the Justice is Not for Sale Act of 2015, it's on New Abolitionist Radio's page, a video of Senator Sanders and Keith Ellison, as well as others who introduced it that day, bringing it in. Historically, it was introduced on September 18th, which is also the anniversary of America's first mass incarceration laws, the Fugitive Slave Law Act that was passed in 1850 incredible historic legislation that's in Congress right now that we could pass that abolishes private prisons from U.S. borders forever, period. Just get them out of there and eliminates the uh, quota, mandatory quota being applied to immigration centers. So you can see that right now on New Abolitionist Radio. Sad, sad state of affairs, man. Your boy, like you said, Scotty, your boy, he just he chooses to be on on the wrong side of these things. So, at any rate, we still got two segments. Yeah, we still got a couple segments, and uh, I was hoping to read a little something as my closing sentence statement. So, uh, let's get into our our regular schedule uh, segments, which would be first our rider of the twenty first century underground railroad. Brother Yon, would you like to do him this evening? It's been a while since you did the rider, I think. Well, sure, I can. You know, I had to. I had to cut myself off a while back from doing it, and, yeah. and getting my getting my pressure up, man. I just when I read these stories, and you know, I've got the links to these different outlets or whatever that that talk about these, and it just it's just always so ridiculous, man. And this is people's lives. This is really why I do this because it's people's lives, and these are real people that you just. Snap a finger, Shazam, 30 years gone. 
I mean, your damn life is already not worth much to the society as it is, and you're just going to take 30 years of it from me and just kick me to the curb and just act like didn't nothing happen. So it tends to get under my skin, but I'll, I'll be happy to come back to it. This week's uh, rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is our good brother Glenn Ford, um, who was exonerated uh, last year in 2015, or actually, or 2014, I'm sorry, um, after nearly 30 years on death row. Um, it said his case drew additional attention after the prosecutor who sent him to death row publicly apologized, and that was something that just made it even worse. Uh, Marty Stroud, the prosecutor at the time, um, came out and admitted, now that this man has been let out, that he was, quote-unquote, not as interested in justice as he was in winning back in those times. So this is what you're up against. While you think the abolitionist is just out here talking trash and we just, you know, out here rebels and just crazy and just looking to be concerned with things that don't have nothing. I mean, every kind of BS people want to give to dismiss what we're trying to do here. This is why we're doing it. Because the people in position that decides who goes to prison and who goes home are always deciding to let their golf buddies go home always deciding to let their friends and their frat brothers and their neighbors and their church members and people that look like them and they identify with in their neighborhood go home and always decide to build their career of having perfect prosecution records off of your back, off of my back, off the poor, off the homeless, off the mentally ill, off black folks, off of, off of Mexicans, off of people that don't look like them. They figure this is the perfect kind of person for me to get a perfect 150 and zero prosecution record in my 10, 15 year career. I'll go be a state senator. I'll keep moving on up through the political ranks and make a bunch of money off the backs of all these poor black folks. That's reality. So back to the story, sorry. Uh, says uh, when Brother Ford was released uh, that he was just diagnosed with lung cancer, unfortunately, after being released from Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. During the 15 months he was free, he filed lawsuits arguing that he was wrongfully imprisoned and that he was denied necessary medical care after signs emerged suggesting he might have cancer. At the time of his release, he was the longest-serving death row inmate in the United States, William Most, his attorney said in a statement. The state has so far denied Glenn's petition under Louisiana's wrongful conviction compensation statute. All Glenn received for his nearly 30 years on death row was $20 for a bus ride home from prison. So I hope you heard that. While you think we just out here crazy... Who are you advocating for? Marty Stroud told the Post in an interview that Ford's situation shows why the death penalty is just an abomination. In that interview earlier this year, the former prosecutor said he was prompted to apologize after he read about Ford's problems getting the state to pay him. Ford was sentenced to death for killing a watchmaker who ran a jewelry store. And while wrongfully imprisoned inmates in Louisiana can receive up to $250,000 in compensation, the state argued in court filings that he should not be compensated because he sold items that were stolen from the jewelry store. Before he died, attorneys say Ford was able to visit his children in California, where he was raised by his grandmother. He was 65 years old, with nearly half of those years spent behind bars. So New Abolitionist Radio salutes Brother Glenn Ford. Rest in peace. He did at least get to walk free. Salute, brother. We'll see you again one day. At least I believe so. Man, at least he died. Died under the shadow of slavery, but he died free. 
we all live under the shadow of slavery right now, and that's the problem. You know, people aren't born slaves anymore. That's a difference, indeed, from chattel slavery. You know, you aren't born a slave, but you live in a slavery hunting ground where they can pick you up at any moment. And there's certain conditions you can live under that increase the odds of you getting uh, collected by these slave catchers and put into enslavement. Sometimes, and well, not even sometimes, most times, these conditions are well-crafted and created and maintained so that entire area that you live in can be called million-dollar blocks because prisoners make so much money from those blocks. I mean, also think about it intersects with so many different areas if you just look. Now, you consider that it's been widely reported for quite some time that they determine the number of prisoners they're going to build based on the reading level of children in, what, the third, fourth grade, somewhere around there. So they, they mm -hmm. make those projections. Well, why is it then, do you think it's a coincidence, I should say, that when we see certain communities are always begging for funding for their schools? That's because they don't want little Bobby to learn how to read because he may not end up a slave if he becomes literally literate and can comprehend what he reads and and and, and no. So again, all of these things are interconnected in my opinion. Uh, 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 crimes are man-made. A lot of crimes are man-made. If there is no victim, how can there be a crime? So. A lot of this stuff is just like back in the 18, after the Civil War, when they put all kind of laws on the book. They didn't have nothing to do with protecting the public or public safety. The sole intent was to put people in, in slavery. And I, I, see, I see the connections. I just hope other people can see them too. Uh, we do have our last segment. Uh, we do got the Lotus Place coming up at 10. So uh, y'all may want to keep Scotty. it locked for that. Um, yes, but, if it don't mind. Uh, present us with our abolitionist improv file every week. We do one and remember our, uh, those who came before us and uh, laid out the past with keep travel now, walking the same way. And this week is Ray uh, Charles B. Ray. A quick shout out to Brother Ross who posted this profile in BTR Community. Uh, dot com that I, and I saw it today and I hadn't heard of this one I thought I knew all of them but I didn't know of this one so thank you uh, for posting this Ross so Charles Bennett Ray was born December the 25th 1807 and died August 15th 1886. He was a prominent African-American abolitionist, the owner and editor of the weekly newspaper, The Colored American, and a notable journalist and clergyman. Born a free man in Falmouth, Massachusetts, Ray was the son of a mail carrier, Joseph Aspinwall Ray, and his wife, Annis Harrington. He attended Wesleyan Seminary in Wilbraham, Massachusetts, studying theology, and then in 1832 enrolled as the first black student at Wesleyan University in Middleton, Connecticut, although his enrollment was revoked less than two months later after white students protested. He moved to New York City in 1832 and opened a boot and shoe store. In the early 1830s, Ray became involved in the abolitionist movement and became a prominent promoter of the Underground Railroad. 
He was also co-founder and director of the New York Vigilance Committee and a member of the American Anti-Slavery Society assisting runaway slaves. Ray was also active in the Society of the Promotion of Education among Colored Children. Ray married twice, first in 1834 to Henrietta Green Regulus, who died two years later in childbirth, and again in 1840 to Charlotte Augustus Burroughs. They had seven children, including the first female African-American attorney, Charlotte E. Ray, her sister Florence Ray, who also became an attorney, as well as poet Henrietta Cordelia Ray, known for her 80-line old Lincoln. Charles B. Ray died in New York City and is buried in Cypress Hill Cemetery in Brooklyn. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes Charles Bennett Ray. Salute. Word. Love hearing about our elders who came before us and what they did and how much of their lives they put into everything about being free. They didn't do it because they wanted the right to vote. They didn't do it because they uh, wanted to be able to sit on a bus in the front. They did it because they wanted freedom from oppression and slavery, racism. Being a damn target all the time. Word. Word. Well, let's uh, uh, go. We're coming up to the conclusion of our program. Was there anything you guys wanted to say before we went into our final uh, statements? Oh, no. No, I didn't have anything. Um, you have any other things you want to cover before we went into our final statements? We good. We can wrap it up. All right. Well, which one of you brothers want to start first? Uh, I'll go first. Oh. I'll just simply I'll take point. about two minutes with mine. Yeah. Uh, well, I recognize we still got this other program coming on, and I got to change out uh, the YouTube streams. So, can uh, please keep right. that under consideration. Uh, I, I just want to simply say you may hear a lot of frustration come out in my voice at times, especially when I'm talking about people who should know better and do better but don't, okay? Especially when we're talking about celebrity figureheads being held in high self-esteem and people talking about these are ethical people when they are not ethical people. They are slavers. They are murderers. They are capitalists. All right. And I do mean that as a smear. OK. And and so I get frustrated because I care about this issue very, very deeply. And I, 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 you know, sometimes I see things to celebrate and it looks like we're making some gains. And then next thing you know, all those gains been wiped out and we got to start all over again and we got to renew the fight. So that's what you're hearing. It's just battle weariness in my voice sometimes. I don't mean ill will to to any of these people, except for the slavers. I want you all dead. Just kill yourself right now. Save us the trouble. But I, I just get frustrated because I know there are a, a more people giving their energy to keeping slavery in place than there are people giving energy to end it. And we got to change the uh, uh, balance. We got to change that. Thanks. John. Hey, I just want to say uh, a reminder to uh, the listeners. I mean, people, whether it's tonight live or going on into the future sometime years from now, you listen to this podcast. I just want to remind you, we ain't never lied. Bottom line, I mean, it's that simple. 
We ain't never lied to you. We never been caught wrong, misrepresented anything. We don't take things out of context. We don't misrepresent the story. We don't need to twist it. We don't form it to fit our agenda. We don't get involved in any of that. This is one of the most pure and righteous news reporting media agencies, propaganda uh, parts of the propaganda machine, probably on the face of this earth. We got one thing we talk about, and that's modern day slavery, primarily here in the United States of America. And we show you every aspect of it that can possibly be found out, anything that can be researched about it. We find it and we report it to you shame, with, with no shame, with no fear, regardless of the implications to ourselves personally, professionally. We put it out there for the people like Brother Glenn Ford, may he rest in peace, that died 30 years he had to give wrongfully accused for the people that have martyred themselves, Denmark Vesey's and Gabriel Prosser's and Nat Turner's that went on before us that gave their lives, the Harriet Tubman's and Sojourner Truths. You call yourself loving the ancestors, I don't care if you're KMT, Christian, whatever you want to be, you own some yoga, whatever you're doing, you think you're somebody and you honoring yourself and your temple and your ancestors and your blackness and your, all this crap I hear people talking, you full of shit. If you ain't talking about ending slavery, I don't want to hear it. Don't send me no friend request. Don't speak. Don't come around. Don't stalk me. Don't try to get in my wheelhouse, in my cipher. I don't want to hear it. We're talking about ending slavery. If you're not, you're on the side of the oppressors. And you know I say it every week. Peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. Word. Um, I remember Scotty just told me that he got to do the switchover. So I am not going to read to you what I originally intended this week. Uh, maybe I'll do it on another occasion. But I was told recently that an article I wrote called, innocuously called, Some Critical Thinking was the one that it might convince a lot of people of what we're trying, what we're dealing with here. You can find that article on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, it's a big photo of the prison industrial complex and all the influences that created and keep it going and the effects. And then uh, I wrote a little bit about what if? Let's just consider for a second what if. And I want you to do that too. Just consider for a second what if we're right? What if this is slavery? And what if this is our one and only and last chance to end it? And remember, when you're thinking about that, that abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up when famine claims millions when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all 